you're in the right place, and we're going to be continuing on in our series called The Gospel Plus. We've been talking about how the gospel is it. It's what we believe. It's the center of our faith. It's the story of Jesus. It's the truth of Jesus. All this, all this stuff kind of like wrapped up into one. And if we understand what that is, and we take that into our lives, then we're going to be able to live it and to share it, to talk about it, instead of talking about how it connects with practical areas of our lives that we interact with every day. And I've promised you each week during this series to give you a gospel summary that is either a song or an image or a scripture that kind of summarizes the gospel, what it's all about in a really concise way. And this morning, your gospel summary is actually a collection of verses. And I'm going to put them up here on the screen for you. And these are actually not even like what the scriptures say, but this is the summary of our faith. These are just the scripture references. So make sure you write these down real fast and then go memorize them. Wait, that's a lot. That's a lot. I don't, some of you probably can't even see that. That text is really small. That's, that's I don't know. Maybe that's true and maybe this is a summary of the gospel and what we believe as followers of Jesus. But maybe it's not very helpful just because it's uh, it's so small and like I don't expect you to remember this. But what this actually is, is these are the scriptures that sort of back up what's referred to as the Apostles' Creed. A uh, couple centuries after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, Christians were going, all right, is, is it this, is it this? And there were teachings, and there were teachings that were a little bit off, and there were the Apostles' teachings, and then there was like some things that were a little bit tweaked and a little bit wrong, and there was a real concern about getting it right. Like, what actually happened with Jesus? What is the identity of Jesus? And uh, to summarize that, like, the church wrestled with this and struggled with this for generations. And in some ways, it's still not even entirely settled because we're talking about God and we have to acknowledge that God is a mystery. But what they came up with in about the late fourth century is called the Apostles' Creed. And it sounds something like this, and even this is going to be a paraphrase, but it's a statement of different things that Christians believe. We believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven, maker of earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, we believe he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He's the guy that suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, was buried. But we believe he didn't stay dead. We believe that he descended into hell, and then on the third day, he rose again. And we believe that then he ascended into heaven, where he sits at God's mighty right hand. But we also believe that he's returning to judge the living and the dead. Kingdom without end. Did you write that down? Did you get that? It's almost as, as about as helpful as... Uh, a list of scripture references that we're going like, okay, that may be a good summary, but it's not very practical. Uh, let's boil it down a little bit more. What this says, what I, what I just semi-recited for you says, is what we sang a moment ago. You came from heaven to earth to show the way, from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay, from the cross to the grave. From the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. That's a good gospel summary song. And I'll take you even one step farther. I'll boil it down even more. Uh, there's an image. Gabe, go ahead and show us this image up on the screen. You may have seen this on somebody's bumper sticker. Uh, I, I found this on a, a Reddit subgroup called, What is this thing? It's a group where people can like snap pictures of things. Like if you're in a hotel and there's a weird plug or like a wall plate, like what, is, what does this even do? Does anybody know? And then they post this. Somebody posted this and said, what is this? 
some folks say, oh, you know what, this is a Christian thing. I think this is like the Apostles' Creed because it summarizes the story of salvation. Jesus was God and he came down. That's, uh, well, there's one more slide, Gabe. Give us a little uh, words underneath that. Yeah. So this is the incarnation, God becoming flesh. Jesus was God in human form. Uh, and he came down. We believe that. And he walked and he showed the way. And then he went to the cross. We believe in the crucifixion. And then at the center of this image is what kind of looks like a rainbow, but it's actually supposed to be an empty tomb. They buried Jesus. He was actually dead. They checked. They knew how to check for deadness back then. Then they went to check uh, to, to treat his body on the third day. And lo and behold, he was not there. And then even the Roman guards who were trying to quash the Christian following of Jesus, they couldn't produce the body. They're like, what? And there were all these eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. So right in the middle is the empty tomb, the resurrection. Then you have this up arrow that represents Jesus not just going from the grave to the earth and like walking and fishing and stuff again, but he ascended to the right hand of God. That's Philippians 2, we talked about a couple weeks ago. And then we have this belief that Christ is returning. We believe that the Bible is bookended by God's good creation. God wanting to be with his people because he loves his creation. And it ends Revelation 21, 22, the exact same way. God returns. There's this restoration. God's good earth. And God is with God's people. Anyway, I get excited talking about that. But this is your gospel summary okay. this morning. It's an image that you can hold on to. It's an image you can reproduce. If someone says, like, what is it that you believe about Jesus? It took me like 10 minutes to explain all this. It could take you a lot less by believing these five images. It's a good summary of your faith. Let's pray together. God, we are excited to remember Jesus. We're excited to know the story of salvation. We're excited to think about what it means in our lives. We want to know how we can be faithful and partner with you in your kingdom work. We praise you and we celebrate the work that you're doing each day as we see your kingdom come more and more and more. And God, we want to be a part of that work. We pray that you will use us for your purposes. And often we have to pray, use us in spite of ourselves. Help us to not get in the way of the kingdom work of being Christ-like telling people the good news about the risen Jesus and the hope that we have in him. Lord, I ask now as I go into this message that you put on my heart, that comes from scripture and that I've prepared a little bit, I pray that you'll use it to inspire your people for works of service, for being more Christ-like. I pray that you will speak through me now. If I say anything that is true, I pray that it will take root in our hearts and it will bear fruit. If I say anything that's not helpful, or that's off, or that's self-serving, I pray that it will fall to the ground and be forgotten. But we just turn to you, and we ask for your blessing, we ask for your guidance during this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, a ministry mentor of mine recently told me this. In ministry, if you don't schedule time to pray, then you won't pray. And I thought about that, and I said, that sounds about right. If you don't schedule time to pray, then you won't pray. There will always be one more thing to do. There will always be one more person to visit, one more phone call to make, one more email to send, one more task to accomplish, one more sermon to write. And believe me, I love writing these sermons. If you don't schedule time to pray, 
prayer and the spiritual disciplines in your own life are going to get bumped by the busyness of your schedule. I found that to be true. But I also think that's true for anybody who's not in full-time ministry. The same is true of any spiritual discipline that you commit to doing. Bible study, service works, Sabbath rest, worshiping God. If it's not scheduled and prioritized, then it's going to keep getting bumped. Today's message is called the Gospel Plus Recreation. Remember a few weeks ago I said we're going to look at how the Gospel impacts practical areas of our lives, like our work, and our money, and our relationships. Recreation is one of those things. These are topics that people talk about all the time. You will probably, at some point in the coming week, get into a conversation about recreation with one of your neighbors or one of your co-workers. They'll talk about vacations. They'll talk about social events, weekend activities, youth sports, all of the above. I promise you these things are going to come up. And what I've noticed is that recreation is one of the prime bumpers of spiritual disciplines in our world. Um, they often get prioritized over Christian practices that lead to spiritual formation. Another ministry friend of mine, I have a lot of minister friends, come to think of it, uh, was telling me about something that a family in his church said. They said, hey, it's travel baseball season now, so we'll see you in four months. They said that to the preacher at their church, and they were absolutely serious. We'll see you in four months. We won't be here. Maybe you'll record your sermons. Hope so. We might go and listen to them. It was a commitment that they made to a recreation activity that was going to get in the way of their scheduled worship activity. Now, I can feel a little bit of tension in the room, and I can tell that you guys are wondering, Jacob, is this going to be a soapbox sermon? Are you just going to rant against all the fun things in our lives that we like to do? And the answer is, hopefully not. <laughs> we'll see. Um, no, this is not a carte blanche attack on recreation. I think that rest, and I think that play, the things that we do that are social and life-giving are good Things. And I'll talk a little bit later about recreation being a great opportunity to build relationships and to share Jesus with people who haven't heard the gospel. But first, I think we have to ask ourselves whether or not we have a healthy, gospel-informed approach to doing recreation. I think it's an easy thing to get wrong because the current of our culture is often moving in the opposite direction. I came across this quote that I found to be intriguing. It's not like any scientific measurement, but, but I thought I'd share it with you. It goes like this. Uh, somebody said, the average American worships work, works at play, and plays at worship. The average American work, worships work, works at play, and plays at worship. Now, I don't know, again, how far you can take this or if this resonates with you, but what this is pointing out is a priority Hierarchy seems to be like average American like work is it work is the thing that bumps all other things like I, I got to do my work uh, this, this is the thing that I have committed to it's got to go in the jar first you know the big rocks in the jar <laughs> image uh, the average American works at play I'm not entirely sure what that means but play comes next like you work hard and then we got to play hard and somewhere at the bottom is our worship. And again, you may say, that's not me, or that's not even my observation of the average American. But somebody came along and said this, and I thought it was interesting and something worth considering. And especially if you take this hierarchy and you compare it to a habit and a discipline that you see in Jesus from the Gospels that we're going to consider 
down. So I want to invite you to go to Scripture with me. We're going to look at Mark chapter 1. This is from early on in Mark's account of the life of Jesus. Uh, Mark chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 32. We'll head on from there. We have a slide for this uh, back in the back. Can you give us that slide? There it is. Mark 1. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at his door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. And he also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Just a little snapshot from the life and the ministry of Jesus. We're going to let this scripture inform what I say for the rest of the message this morning, but I have to give a little disclaimer, and the disclaimer goes like this. If you go to scripture and say, you know, what does it say about recreation, there's hard to find some, like, one-to-one comparisons, because there's no, like, parable of the ping-pong tournament in the Bible. There's no, there, Paul doesn't write to the Corinthians and give them some guidelines for travel volleyball. Uh, I was thinking about, like, maybe you could go, like, you know, Jonah... God says, I want you to go over here. And he's like, he gets on a boat and he goes someplace else. I can say, wow, Jonah chose to take a cruise over doing what God told him to do. And if that's what you do, then, uh, you know, you're going to get swallowed by a a great fish. (laughs) Uh, Maybe that's not the most faithful way to interpret scripture. But the point is, you have to use a little bit of wisdom uh, when we're comparing the life of Jesus and the lives that we lead today. I simply want to point out three things from this passage that we just heard. This morning that I think could help Christians incorporate uh, the gospel into our philosophies regarding recreation. Thing number one is that you see in this passage is that Jesus prioritizes spiritual formation. Jesus prioritizes spiritual formation. He begins his ministry with preaching and teaching, but also healing. You see him like making sick people well and driving out demons, and you can imagine what that did uh, in his world. People were like, okay, there is something here. Let's go see this guy. Let's go bring our sick to him. He is a healer. He is amazing. There's something going on here. So Jesus, early on, according to Mark, gets very popular very fast, and he gets mobbed. And in this scene, everybody coming to his door, they're crowding around him, and they're asking him to do more of what he's already been doing. And then we get this change. It's like this day, and then it's early morning, all of a sudden, Jesus gets up while it's still dark, he leaves everything behind, and he goes off by himself. Why does he do that? Well, I do that to go and get a nice, fresh cup of coffee, or to have some quiet before the house wakes up and gets nice and loud. Well, that's not it. Well, is Jesus going off early to go to a Pilates class? No, we know that's not true. He is going off to pray, to sit in the presence of God the Father, to converse with God, to recite the ancient prayers from the Torah and the Psalms. He could have slept in. He could have done more work. There was plenty to do. But Jesus prioritized 
spiritual formation. It didn't get bumped by his popularity or his increase in workload. That's something worth taking note of and then seeing how it compares in our lives. A theme that keeps coming up with me in my life, just naturally, something I've noticed. Maybe it's God putting it, drawing my attention to this. But it is that uh, if I am in the practice of doing these spiritual disciplines, it impacts my day, it impacts my week, it impacts my mindset. This is something that kind of keeps coming up in different areas. Having every part of your life flow from having a firm understanding of who you are in Christ. I think that's what Jesus gained by getting up early and committing to spending time in prayer. He was somebody who later on in his life would have to trust God the Father who said, like, you're going to go to this cross and it's going to be painful and you're going to lay down your life. But trust me, there's going to be a good ending. There's going to be a good outcome. The incredible amount of trust that that would have to take to follow that path, I can't even imagine. But I think the reason that Jesus was able to do it is because in all of those times of spiritual formation, in those times of prayer, he understood who he was in his relationship with his Father. And that can apply to us as well. We've been doing these seminars this fall uh, called Relate Strong, and they talk about something called the pain-peace cycle. And what is at the core of it is that we get emotionally dysregulated when we feel unloved or unsafe. Okay, that's just basic psychology. That's what everybody feels. You feel unloved, you feel unsafe, you start to tense up, you start to get anxious, you start to go to your coping mechanism, your relationships start to get turned upside down. But they said the peace cycle is when you understand who you are in Christ. When you say, yeah, I know that I'm not unloved because I have the greatest love of all. God the Father loves me and knows me. I know that I'm not unsafe because in God's economy, I put my trust in Christ. I know where I'm going. I know that I have salvation. Everything else can kind of fall into place after that. That's one area where this keeps coming up. In our evangelism class on Sunday mornings, the, the coach that we've been listening to, Seth Bouchel, says that 80% of sharing Christ with other people is just getting out of your own head. Stop thinking about, like, oh, how is it going to be perceived? Like, what, what are going to work up the courage? What if I say something weird? Ah, I don't know. I just kind of got to... It's like, just, that's a huge part of it. It's just forgetting about yourself and letting the truth of God's love for us overpower our doubts and our insecurities and our fears. It's been coming up in my conversations with Lisa lately. My phone calls that I have with Justin and some of, some of you as well. You talk about the spiritual disciplines in your life. And some of the things we talk about is when we miss those, we tend to see that our days kind of get stressful. They kind of get out of control. But when we're centered, when we say, hey, I want to start my day in the Word. I want to just take a moment. Uh, ask Lisa. She's not in the room right now. But ask her about the liturgy of making her bed. Something that she found. And even if she can just do it for a couple moments before she does anything else in her day, just sitting in the presence of God, reminding herself that she's his beloved child, it's done amazing things. And yet, these kinds of spiritual disciplines are often the things that get bumped in our lives. They get bumped by our busyness, our full calendar of commitments, by prioritizing everything but becoming more like Jesus. It's a good reminder, the example we see of Jesus dedicating that time for spiritual I'm going to give you a little preview because I'm excited about something I'm going to preach in January and February uh, after the holidays. 
January and February, we're going to be doing a series on spiritual warfare. Yeah. And in this passage, we had like demons and Jesus driving out demons. Uh, yeah, Jesus believed in spiritual forces that draw us away from God. It's not just our busyness. It's not just like, oops, you know, I didn't prioritize this. There's actually like these, if, if God is a spiritual force driving us toward good, then there's these forces that try to draw us away from that. We're going to like dive in and look at what scripture has to say about these, these things. There's, there's, there's names for them. It talks about the devil and the flesh and the world. And just like these three areas that you keep seeing early Christians identifying and saying, okay, we, we, that's a real force out there. We need to combat that with our own spiritual disciplines. Anyway, I'm excited about that. You'll hear a lot more about that in January and February. But for now, we'll just say, number one observation from this text is that Jesus prioritized uh, spiritual formation. And the second thing is that Jesus protects that priority with boundaries. Boundaries. We see in this passage, Jesus he literally creates distance from himself and the obligations that are knocking at his door. He leaves his house where everyone knows they can find him, and then he, he goes off alone to pray. And then, this is the weird part, when his disciples find him, they say, everyone's looking for you. In other words, there's an expectation that what you're going to do now is come back to the house and keep doing the stuff that we want you to do. But Jesus says, no, we're not going to do that right now. Hmm. Let's go somewhere else so I can tell more people in other places about the kingdom of God. Jesus does this in other places in the Gospels, too. There's a story where he sends out his disciples. He says, go off and like preach the gospel and, and heal in my name and like do all kinds of good stuff. So he sends these, these people out. They come back and they're excited. They're like, Jesus, we want to tell you all these amazing things that we saw God do. Like, it was awesome, just like you said. And Jesus is like, that's cool, that's cool. You know what we need to do? Let's get in a boat. Let's go to the other side of the lake where nobody is. Let's just kind of like pray. Let's be together. Let's, let's converse with God. But this time it doesn't go so well because the crowds, they follow him. They're like walking around the lake. Hey, we want to see more Jesus. We're going to talk to those disciples. And uh, they don't, I don't think they get to have their retreat because people catch up with them. Suddenly he's feeding 5,000 people. And, but the point is still the same. Jesus creates these boundaries. He protects spiritual formation, which is his priority. In our world today, there are at least two problems that I see. One we often don't have any boundaries at all in our lives or our calendars or interactions. We don't have boundaries. We don't create boundaries. And two, and possibly because of one, we don't even know what our priorities are. Part of that is because we're so busy. We don't sit down and go like, is this the best thing? Is this a good thing? Is this, I, I mean, just, we kind of tend to just, like I said, go with the current. As with the conversation last week about the gospel plus our relationship with work, if we don't understand and prioritize the values of Jesus, then we'll often just kind of go along with whatever flow the world is offering us and whatever sounds good. I want to share with you a, a flow that I heard for years when I was doing youth ministry. This congregation and previous churches that I've been a part of have done a lot of years of leading youth events and doing spiritual formation for teenagers. And one challenge that I had. This is, I got to be careful because this is, this is a sore spot for me. It definitely touches a nerve here. But a flow that I heard for years in youth ministry was that youth sports should be prioritized over church attendance. It's that mindset that I mentioned earlier. Like, see you in four months. We got I me mean, travel baseball. What are you going to do? And they gave reasons that sounded good on the surface about why that our, their teenager would not be involved in our youth program for several weeks or 
And the reasons usually sounded like this. One, it's important because these team sports teach them a commitment to a team. Two, it's something we do together as a family, and being together as a family is important. And these sound, sound good, right? Yeah, that's, that's important. Three, our kids just enjoy it. They're really into it. They really like it. And I tried to like not hear the undertone there of like, they like it more than they like uh, church. Okay, fair enough. And then four, I would often say, it's okay because they're only missing one. They're only missing one Sunday. Or they're only missing one month. Or they're only missing one season. Or you can kind of see how that can lead to a lot of missing this is a very common justification for what I consider to be improperly ranked priorities and lack of boundaries. So you can imagine, I was a little excited a couple weeks ago, <laughs> again, uh, well, Molly's soccer team had a tournament. It was like, I looked on their schedule and they had games every Saturday for the, the time that, the length of the season, and it was one weekend where there were no games. And I was like, ooh, cool, we get a, we get a free weekend where we don't play a game. And the coach signed up their team for three games that weekend. I went, oh, okay. We went from zero and rest and just time to you know, be together as a family on Saturdays to now there's two games on Saturday and one game on Sunday. I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. Well, guess what? Uh, the game on Sunday was at 1040, and uh, I was kind of okay with telling the coach, you know what? Molly's not going to be able to be there. She loves coming to practice. She loves coming to the game. She'll be there on Saturday, but the Sunday game doesn't work because there's a priority our family has each Sunday to worship together. It's a priority for us. It's important for us. One, because it teaches them commitments to the Lord and to the church. Two, it's something we do together as a family. Family time is important. Three, they enjoy it. And four, we don't want them to get in the habit of missing worship or fellowship or communion. Is that a little preaching? Is that a little soapboxy? Like I said, this is a sore spot for me because as a youth leader, I'm like, this is important. I want you to do this. And parents are like, yeah, we're going to do this thing over here. And again, I'm not against recreation. I'm not against youth sports. I'm just asking us to consider how do they impact with our commitment to following Christ. So the third thing, Jesus demonstrates these good boundaries by, number three, saying no to an opportunity. This is a little bit surprising. Because it's not like Jesus is saying no to something that's an obvious no. Like, no, that's bad. Why would you even ask? They're offering to do something that's good. Jesus, everyone's looking for you. You're very popular. You made this huge splash last night. This is the kingdom work that you came here to do. We want you to keep doing the good thing that you came to do. And Jesus surprisingly says no. Because, not because this is bad, but because there's something that's more important at this particular time. In our lives, we understand it. It's easy for us to say no to things we don't want to do. If I say, hey, I need your help this week. I need you to come over and like help me rearrange my underwear drawer. You're going to say, uh, I think I'm busy that day. I didn't even tell you what day it was. How do you know you're, you're busy? Okay, you see. Something you don't want to do. But there's all kinds of things that we want to do. So we say yes to them. And it's hard to say no to good things invitations that we get to trips, social functions, hobbies, soccer tournaments, all of the above. These are good things, but often our lack of boundaries has us saying yes to more of them than we can possibly manage. 
as we said, the more things that we give our lives to, the more life-giving things get bumped. But a balanced and healthy Christ-centered relationship with our recreation can really be an awesome thing. Recreation can be a great source of rest for us, and it can also provide great opportunities to share Christ with people. So, let's talk positive uh, version, gospel-filled idea and understanding of recreation. One of them is just thinking of recreation as rest in its best and truest sense. There's this guy named Andy Crouch, and he wrote a book called The TechWise Family. And he says, in our culture, we often confuse two ideas. Two ideas are work and toil. We don't know the difference between those two things. And the other thing is rest and leisure. And we get those things mixed up and we don't see the distinction. Crouch says, work is purposeful. It is meaningful. We work well, you feel good about it, and then you know how to stop working. But toil, on the other hand, toil is an excessive, endless, fruitless labor. It's the kind that leaves us exhausted with nothing valuable to show for our effort. Maybe you've experienced toil. Like you work all day, you work, work your day, you punch out, and then you go, I don't even know what I did. I don't think I accomplished anything. That felt meaningless. That seemed kind of... Uh, and Crouch says, if toil is fruitless labor, you can think of leisure as a fruitless escape from labor. He says, it's a kind of rest that doesn't really restore our souls. It doesn't restore our relationships with others or our relationship with God. Think about this. You ever come back from a vacation that you feel less rested than when you left? You're like, ah, oh, that was not restful at all. That was work. That was toil. That was not what I was hoping for. You ever rushed your whole family from like one thing to the next thing to the next thing and the next thing? And you're like, I think you're thinking about enjoying the thing you're doing because you're just thinking about the next thing that's coming and, oh, we gotta get in the car. Oh, we gotta go and do this. The opposite side of that, and this is the biblical principle of Sabbath. And I really think that Sabbath is the gift that a weary world can really appreciate from the church. It's just going like, yes, this is what's missing in our lives and our balance. This comes from, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Remember, remember the Sabbath day. It sounds like this, Exodus 20. God says to God's people through Moses, this is one of the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your animals, etc., for six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Rest is good. Rest is not like, ah, oh, man, I wish I could work in my yard because I like doing that. No, no, no. Sabbath is about enjoying your creation, slowing down and enjoying the gifts that God gives. Jesus reminds the Pharisees in the Gospels that the Sabbath was made for man. It's supposed to be a blessing for us, and it's not something that is going to be a burden for us to keep. It's a blessing and not a burden. And I think you can say the same thing about recreation. God wants people to enjoy his creation, but not make idols out of it. Recreation can be restful, and I would say it should be restful, but often it is not. And I think that's a good measuring stick for how we are doing recreation. Is it restful? Is it restorative? Think of the, the principle of real rest. That's kind of a good way to assess how we're doing 
with our relationship with recreation. Another thing I was thinking about this week is how it can be an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody who doesn't know it. Um, one thing that's come out in our evangelism class, referencing this, Sundays at 9.30, we're talking about how to share the gospel with people. We have a lot of people in our church who have admitted that, you know what, we look back on our week and most of the people we've interacted with are already believers. We, we don't spend a lot of time with people who don't already believe the same things we believe. And we're talking about principles for sharing your faith with non-believers. And first we have to ask the question, where are all the unbelievers? Because all the people I spend my time with are folks that already believe. Our hobbies and our sports and our, our meetup groups and the, just the things we do for fun and recreation, that's a great way to meet people who have never heard the gospel. Or maybe who haven't met a Christian who can give them a positive view of what it means to follow Jesus. I was... Uh, I'll tell you two quick stories and I'll try to land the plane here. I was, uh, I was out at a comedy club on Tuesday nights. Uh, I sometimes go to comedy clubs. And uh, guess how many Christians hang out at comedy clubs? Darren says one. Someone said zero. Those are both good guesses. Uh, yeah, often not a lot of believers, not a lot of uh, gospel-centered material coming from the, the mics that I go to. But uh, I was hanging out afterwards and I... It, became clear while I was there. I, I let some people know that I'm a pastor, that I'm a follower of Jesus. And this one guy kind of just opened up. He was on stage earlier in the night just doing his, his material. And uh, he was talking about like, man, you know what? I always admired Christians. I, I don't believe myself, but I've admired people who have faith. It just seems like they have this joy and they have, he was trying to describe uh, like a foundation. They have this like solid ground that they stand on. They know what they believe and their lives are purposeful and all this. And I was like, yeah, like that's that's my experience too. And just listen to him kind of say like, I've always, I've always wanted that, but I have all these doubts. I have all these questions. And he kind of went into some of these doubts and some of these questions. Like, I just, I, I don't know the answer to this question, but what about this? And is this really true? And just, he was really kind of opening up about his experience with the gospel and kind of keeping it at arm's length. And then telling me that his interaction with me was a positive one. I was, I was listening to him. I was able to share, like, yeah, I, I have that foundation, too, in Christ. And I was able to say, I, I don't have all the answers, but I think there's truth in Christ. And if we follow him, we'll, we'll get the answers that we need. It was a really cool interaction. And I was thinking, like, if I, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here, honestly. This is, this is just an example of what I'm talking about. Like, I was there, and I was ready to affirm Christ in a Christian lifestyle. I just put in a good word. If I hadn't been there, that interaction may not have happened. We agreed to, to stay in touch. He lives in a different city, but we're going to keep in touch online. It, just, it was a really positive thing. Another thing that happened uh, a long time before that story that I just told you is that um, back in the 80s, my dad was baptized um, because he met a bunch of guys at a Christian basketball my uh, parents didn't grow up going to church, but my mom got invited. She became a Christian. And then I remember going to church as a kid, but my dad didn't go. I remember coming home on Sundays. Hey, Dad, how was not going to church? Great. How was church? It was good, too. That was my experience for a while. I, I was a little kid. I didn't really understand, but, you know, find out later. He wasn't against church, but he was against going there on Sundays. <laughs> he had some other things that he would rather be doing. He was not against hanging out with good dudes. He was not against Christian community either. He just didn't have the opportunity because the only thing that was offered was come and 
watch a sermon. Strikes me as what you guys are all doing right now. But there were these guys from church that said, hey, we're a bunch of dudes from the church and we're playing basketball. My dad said, now basketball, that's something I'm interested in. Started playing basketball with these guys. They invited him to a men's Bible study. He's like, well, these are good dudes on the basketball court, but maybe they're good dudes in the Bible study. Started hearing about Jesus. Okay, went from interested in basketball, interested in Christian community, okay with the Bible study. He started coming to church. He got baptized. I mentioned this before. He died when I was a kid, but he got baptized six months before he passed away. It's because these Christians in the church said, you know what, let's take the gospel on the basketball court. It wasn't like, you know, Jesus-themed hoops, like, amen, <laughs> basketball, some good Christian guys. I think about that. I think, I feel like the church is being called to spend more time in the comedy clubs, to spend more time on the basketball courts, to spend more time uh, in our backyards with our neighbors, but being ready to explain this joy and this hope that we have in Jesus. Getting good at articulating our faith and sharing it with people. As we think about the gospel and resurrection, I want to encourage you guys this week to just pay attention to what people are talking about. See if you get into a conversation with someone where they talk about the things they do for fun and how not fun they sound, how much they're stressing them out. See if our, our lives are busier than they should be. Think about our own lives and our own interactions and what the church, what the gospel has to offer in terms of helping people find rest in the Lord. Uh, let's pray one more time. God, may we be a people of your word. May we be like Jesus. I thank you for the time that we've already spent together this morning, listening to the words of Jesus listening to the life of Jesus and sharing the songs of worship together. I thank you for the people in this room who have prioritized coming to this meeting, saying it's important to be here. It's important. I want to be formed by this. Lord, as we close out our time together, I want us to, I want you to reveal to us an opportunity that we can have to live a life that is more restful, that is more assured of who we are as your beloved children. And let us be quick and eager, able to share that with people. Just pray that your spirit will descend on us and then send us out to do good works, to be salt and light in our neighborhoods, in our schools, places we interact with our neighbors. And just let us be uh, your people on a mission. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.